about the Sermon on the Mount to this point. We're in chapter 7 and verses 11, uh, 7 through 11 tonight. Any questions thus far? Okay, you ready for an exam then? You ready to tell me what you know? <clears throat> huh? Steve is? Okay. <clears throat> well, verse 7 reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, when you read this, how does it strike you? What's going on there? Promise. Promise, as in? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I mean this is um, this is a prayer, isn't it? An encouragement to pray, to to ask God. Um, it's a very encouraging thing, uh, I think. As you again, we're reminded that that beginning in chapter five, as Jesus began this, he's talking to us about kingdom life, what it means to be kingdom people. And, um, you know, he just comes off of, of a couple of things there, you know, about not letting the things of the world be your God, you know, uh, not being anxious or fretful about things, not judging others, you know, um, unfairly or incorrectly. And then he moves into this, this verse 7 and says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and it will find. And he's encouraging uh, a persistent, persevering kind of interaction with the Father. Ask for these things. Ask for what you need. You're fretting? Ask for God to, to take away the fretting and to bring you know, confidence and encouragement. You've you're got too much focus and emphasis on money and material things, on the wrong treasures, then ask for wisdom and, and for God's provision in this. Learn to trust Him and not in the things of this world. So it's a, it's a very, um, I think, encouraging passage. So the first thing I would do as I, as I look at this is I ask a question. Who are the real yous he's talking about here? He uses you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and it will be... Uh, and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Who are the yous? Believers. 
That's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Good observation. So he's speaking to believers here. Now, why why would we think that? Why why do you think that? Why is this not? Because he wants to have a personal relationship. Okay. And he does, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, make the application here that if you are an unbeliever, if you're one of those Pharisees or scribes that he's had so much issue with, how does this, how does this uh, imperative apply to them? Ask and you will receive. Knock and you will find. Seek and it will be open to you. You know, what, how does that apply to them? It doesn't, does it? It can't apply to them because they don't belong to him. They don't believe in him. So he's not going to provide for them. A relationship, even a praying relationship with Christ begins with a confession and repentance and turning to him for salvation, doesn't it? These verses, like other passages regarding prayer, are for true believers, those who are truly God's adopted children. The promises do not concern Buddhists, they don't concern Muslims, they don't concern Mormons, Roman Catholics, you know, anybody that's on the outside looking in that's just practicing religion, these promises do not fit. They're for those who have uh, their hearts, uh, whose hearts God has performed the miracle of new birth. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 2. your fingers limbered up. I'm going to give you some verses in a minute. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, let's see, verse 11 says therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, down in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he gives us this contrast, this separation between those who believe, who are repentant and put their faith and trust in Christ, and those who aren't. Uh, and the ones who aren't don't have access to the promises. This includes this, these promises that he's offered here in these verses. They don't have the promise uh, of God hearing their prayers. Um, it has to be someone that's in fellowship with him. The context of the Sermon on the Mount implies that this prayer is for obedient children. All right, let me give you some verses here and, um, and you read them for me. Scott? Would you take Psalm 6618? Psalm 6618. Who else want one? Nadia, you got a you got a Bible? You want a verse? Nadia? Would you like to read one? No? Vera? You want to read one? You don't have to. Read it to us in your native tongue. In Ukrainian. King, take Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Kyle, John 9, 31. 
What? Kyle does not have a book in the Bible named after him. We shall now teach from the book of Kyle. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. First, Duke fans. Let's let's use Enoch first. <laughs> Luke thirteen twenty four through thirty. All right, we'll hold that for now. So. Psalm 66, 18, Scott. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What, the, what does that say? If I have made a place for iniquity, for sin in my life, in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear my prayer. Yeah, Psalm 66, 18, right? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Did you catch that? The, the Lord's arm is not short that he can't save or his ear able to hear, but your iniquity has caused him not to hear. Your sin has caused him to turn off the volume. He's not listening. John 9.31 We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is devout and does his will, God listens to him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear. But isn't God the Father of all people? Mm -hmm. Think carefully. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't hear all the He doesn't hear all the prayers of the people. Uh, Luke thirteen twenty four through thirty. I'm sorry, Luke thirteen twenty four through thirty. What did I say? Okay, all right. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I do not know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We, we ate and drank with you and you taught and, and you taught in our streets. But when he will reply, I do not know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evil do. There will be a weeping there and gnashing of teeth, and you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take up their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. And then there will be those who are, on, who are last will be first, and the first will be last. So what we're reading here is we're finding out that God's listening is discriminatory, isn't it? He doesn't, just because somebody prays doesn't mean that God's hearing or that he is going to do anything about it. He's, he's given us some conditions to prayers. Relationship with him or be repentant toward a relationship with him. And once in that relationship with him, we, we, need, to, we need to not harbor our sin or love our sin more than we do him. If we're if we're hoarding our sin, if we're protecting our sin, God
God says, you know, I don't have, I don't have, we don't have anything to talk about until you deal with the sin. So in this passage we're looking at, what are the ewes doing? They're asking, aren't they? They're praying. They're asking. It's an intriguing implication here. Even as God's children, we are to ask for things that God promises. I mean... We think about praying, we think about asking God for things that we think we need. God has given us an incredible number of promises through His Word, and yet He tells us to ask for them. Right? That's interesting. Why do you think He does that? Why doesn't He just give them? Why don't, why don't we just have, you know, an endless reservoir that, you know, it's kind of like one of those... Uh, things that you have for your dog when you've got a little kennel, you know, and you put the water thing there. He just goes over and gets water anytime he wants it, right? It's just always there. You tried that once with Adam. You think? <laughs> tried it once with Adam. <laughs> but, I mean, we're, if we're his, we're his children and we're fellow heirs with Christ eventually, why, why has he set this up to where he wants us to ask him for things that he's already appropriated for us. So he can glorify us. Well, not in the relationship. Mm -hmm. He'll be glorified. It's about the relationship. Drill down on the, he'll be glorified a little bit. What He wants us to know where this stuff's coming from. Who's responsible for it? If it's just an endless supply, we can't just live it on our shelves. Yeah. An opportunity as well as we share with him that we, we show our thankfulness. Exactly. I mean, he's he's personal too. He's training us. God enjoys it too. I think he delights in it when we when you know when our when our children come and genuinely ask us for things. Come on, Daddy. Daddy, can you take us to the park? Sure, I'd love to. Your Daddy, can we have so and so? And and you know that that's just a tight. Of, of what God has given to us being made in His image. That's right. I can remember uh, when my girls were real small, going on vacation, family vacation, and we'd go to the beach usually, and there was always uh, things to do at the beach, right? You could go play putt-putt, or you could go to some little amusement park and ride the rides and all those things. And I love to do that for my girls. Why? To see the glee, to see the enjoyment, to create the memories that they're having, to build the relationship, you know, to have them come back and talk about that, you know, or to be appreciative. Daddy, thank you for taking us. That was so much fun, you know, and the opposite of that was true, too, that if they weren't grateful or they were expecting something or didn't like what they got and, you know, it wasn't good enough, you had the opposite effect. But you're exactly right. I delighted in that. I delighted in giving them things. Even your adult child that comes to you and says, I'm looking to buy a car. Can you help me, show me the best way to go about doing that? I mean, Makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Needed. Necessary. So we understand that. And, and ours is just a glimpse. 
It's just a speck on the horizon, just a dewdrop in the ocean of, of what this dynamic looks like with, with our Heavenly Father. He says, ask. Ask. In fact, in fact, James tells us what? Kind of reverses this a little bit. What does he say? You have not because you ask not. It's, it's all right here. Just ask me for it. But we get so consumed with all the wrong stuff that we're not asking for the stuff that he's ready to give and ready to bless us with. Ask and it will be given to you. So if we don't receive these things, whose fault is it? God, God is saying it's our fault. We can't blame Him for it. He's saying it's here. Ask me for it. It's here and it's ready. I have to confess a sin that I have in my house. Beth has a hard time asking for anything. And I want more than what she asks. She'll say, oh, I sure would like a glass of water. Okay. <laughs> but if she asks me, if she asks me, you know, I'll drive to the store and get her a glass of water if I have to. But she just has a real hard time with it. I mean, what she's happening is she's not modeling her mom and her dad relationship, and I'm thinking I'm not her dad, so she's trying to figure that out over the last 32 years. Yeah, it's funny how that works. And, and as you get older, how this, this dynamic is important to us. I think, you know, as a child, they want everything, right? So you're trying to teach them, ask for the good things, ask for the best things. You know, um, you go into a, a store, you know, we would do this occasionally. We would have a time where we were going to the mall or we're going to the store and they, we teach them to do chores and they would, they would earn money, you know, a little bit at a time or they might get a gift at birthday, you know, that would be money. And we'd say, can we go to the toy store? Yes, we can go. And I knew this was going to be a hard thing to do, right? But they have to learn. They're going to, the first thing they see is what they want. And you're trying to say, look, you haven't looked at all that's available here. You're, you're willing to settle for the first thing that we haven't even gotten in the door yet. And you've already picked this up. Oh, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Getting them to understand, put it down, and let's go in here and look at what's available this will always be here. It'll be here when we come back. And you can still get it. But go look at the other opportunities. And we don't think that way. We're just so desperate to get now, now, now. And impatience. I think God does the same thing with us. Ask. Because he's not always quick to give, is he? He doesn't give it immediately necessarily. He, he has some more teaching to do. What is that? Keep asking. He's telling us this here. Ask. Seek. Knock. Yeah. Because if you don't believe that the prayer will be answered. Yeah, what what are we believing the prayer will be answered, but essentially what are we believing? What does God want us to believe? That he's the he's the answer, and that he has he wants what's best for us. He's going to give us the best. So you're saying, God, would you give me that new job 
I need a new job. Give me that new job. And God doesn't give me that new job. Why? He wants, he wants to delight in me. I've asked him, why doesn't he give it? He wants me to keep asking. He doesn't want me to ask one time and stop, does he? That was one of the ways I would find out how bad my kids might want something, especially going into Christmas. You know, they see all that stuff on the TV. I want this. I want that. You go, okay, we're going to have to let all this kind of filter out. Because at some point in time, you're going to hit on one thing that you're going to go, this is the thing that they keep wanting, they keep asking. They've realized that this is what really I want. There's a lot of things that go into that. You know, it's not, that's not a one thing, that's a many thing. You know, I can remember times when I've been out of work and I, and I prayed for a job. And now that, now that God's kicked my rear end, you know, many years later, I can look back and see that it was much more important to learn how to not, how to not have the circumstance I wanted said to to, to to learn the hard way of having the Lord be it not the circumstance yeah God give me this job give me a job give me this job and God's saying Jerry, I have the job for you. But I need you to wait. I want you to wait. I want you to keep asking because I want you to be clear who's going to provide it. I want you to develop and learn that this job, what I give, will be better than what you want for yourself because it always is. You can't even see this job because all you can see is this job. So. And it's more than that. That's right. The job's this big. That's I mean, right. It seems like it's this big, but it's that big. That's right. And 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 it's not the job. It's 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 delighting. It's him knowing that it, it's you you are relating to the Lord. What's a job? That's right. It's what he told us over here in chapter six, wasn't? He said, "Look, I I clothe the nature. I the grass of the fields, the birds of the air. They don't." plant seed and harvest it, and yet I provide for them. Look at them. They're not going around naked. They're not going without food. And are you not more valuable to me than they? Why? Why do you not think that I delight in giving you the absolute best for you? Now, your version of absolute best is not my version of it because I see the ramifications for all of eternity for this job. What you want and what I want for you but you're only looking at the moment to your point. You're only looking right here at this point. I'm looking at all of eternity and what this job is going to, it's going to teach you how I provide that I can be trusted to provide. And there may be ramifications for the kingdom. They're attached to this job. I'm going to put you around some people that you're actually going to share Christ with that are going to come to faith because you're there in that job. I want you to be there as a missionary. So it all is anchored back to him, whereas we're just looking at the transaction, the exchange of getting a job versus unemployment.
But God uses this exercise of asking and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking. I'm going to provide. Do you trust me? But Lord, it's been, it's been 25 years since you told me and Sarah we were going to have a child. We're old. We're too old now. We're past childbearing years. God says, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> That's exactly right. They did. Didn't, didn't Sarah come in and say, here, take my handmaid, Hagar. Have a child with her. I can't give you a child. God's going. No. Ishmael won't do. Because he's by your own hand. He's by your own hand. If I make a great nation of him, you'll always look back and say it was by our hand. It wasn't God's promised seed. I'm going to do something only I can do so that my name will be made great and you'll know who I am. Now, we think of that in, in the big context of our biblical theology. But Kyle's exactly right. God's working this out in our own lives each and every day. Kyle was right tonight at 7.08 p.m. <laughs> give, him, give him credit. I'm not sure God delights in that, but hey, can you tell my wife that she knows? <laughs> I'll 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 send her a note. Yeah. <clears throat> Many Christians ask questions like, "Why is it that I cannot seem to find victory in the Christian life? Why does the Bible seem hard to understand? Why do I still seem in bondage in some besetting sin?" Why am I such a poor witness? Why is the Bible so dead to me? Why is the church so weak? God says, you're neglecting your prayer life. You're not looking to me. You're not leaning into me. You're not asking me, seeking me. Letting me do these things, provide these things for you. R.A. Torrey said, we do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and his own power to achieve things, an age of human organization and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. What we need is not so much some new organization, some new wheel, but the spirit of the living creature in the wheels we already possess. God is good and gracious and ready to give. So Jesus says, ask. So what are we generally lacking? What, what should we be asking for? I mean, he's using some analogies here. You know, that uh, if a father knows his son needs bread, ask for bread, he's not going to give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a serpent or a snake. If you who are sinners, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give to you? I mean, think about that and think about the ramifications in our lives, the way we, the way we think about God. We, we mostly view God through this lens of He's waiting to zap me and to punish me, you know, when I do something wrong, instead of this loving, good, kind Heavenly Father who's benevolent, who wants to delight in giving us good gifts. It's significant that these remarks about prayer are at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. 
What's he said? He said that the purity of heart is lacking in all of our lives. Go back to the early stages of chapter 5, right? He said, the purity's not there. We, we need that. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. We read that meekness is lacking in our lives. Ask. We read that integrity is lacking. Love is lacking. Trust in God are lacking. All these are the kind of things that are lacking in our lives. He says, ask for these things. We think, unfortunately, most of the time, our asking is relegated to temporal things, isn't it? Jesus is saying through the Sermon on the Mount, what about these other things? Humility. Poor in spirit. Ask. God always reveals the heart. And the condition of the heart tells the story. That's right. And all of us have to admit that our heart's not where it needs to be. There's always flaws and other things that get in the way. But Jesus is saying here, it seems to me, you need these things. You've acknowledged now, you, you must acknowledge that you need them, that they're missing or they're in short supply in your life. Ask. The Father wants to give. Sir? The fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, sure. We're lacking in love one for another. We're lacking in patience with one another. Ask. Now, He doesn't promise that it's going to be an easy process of ask and receive, does He? We know when we ask for patience, what's going to happen. It's like, it's like asking the football coach, you know, I want to get in shape for the first game of the year. And there's no going to be no magic wand that turns you into 6'4", 230 pounds, spelt fighting machine, is there? There's going to be some disciplines involved, some exercise, some weightlifting, some running. That's how he gets in shape. God says... You need patience in your life. Well, patience isn't something that's necessarily given. It's something that's formed in us, shaped in us. So he says, if you need anything, ask for it. He talks about prevailing prayer. Not only are we to ask, we're to persevere. As I said, keep on asking. Uh, let's see. Where did I get to? Bill, if you'll take Luke 11, 5 through 10. Phil, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Linda, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Steve, Romans 15, 30. Brian, Romans 8, 26 and 27. 8, 26 and 27. No 28. We know that one. Okay, you ready, Bill? Yep. Luke 11, 5 to 10. Luke 11, said, 5 to 10, that's right. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. Door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is in, because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay. Uh, he used the, the grammar that's used here, these are present imperatives. Present imperatives. And this means that they have continuing commands. They're not a one-off, you know. That if you are driving down the road and we come up to a stop sign and I say, stop here. That's a one-time imperative. But if we're talking in a driver's ed class and I say you should always stop at a, at a stop sign, that's a present imperative. That's a continuing action. You always do it. And so that's the, the tense that's being used here. We are to ask, seek, and knock are all present imperatives. Pray repeatedly, persist in prayer. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he spake a parable unto them to the saying, Men always to pray and not to faint, saying, The working in the city is judged, fear not God, neither regard the man. And there was a ruler in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, If I fear not God, not regard man, yet because this girl troubles me, I will avenge her. Yes, from the continual coming, she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, for he bare along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. So, not to belabor this point, but you get the idea that we're being challenged to be persistent, to be persevering in asking, not to ask once or twice and give up. If it's something worth asking for, isn't it something worth continuing to ask for? At least ask for it until God says, no, stop asking me, right? But the indication of this parable is continue to ask. If it's something that you think you want or need, keep asking. And that he's giving us an indication here that the Father responds to that in prayer. In our persistence. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. That's easy. Y'all can memorize that one, right? Mm -hmm. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Say it with me. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Now you've memorized a verse tonight. You've had Bible study. <clears throat> Romans 15.30 I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together for me in prayers to God on my behalf. Hmm. So the emphasis falls on the discipline of prayer and the persistence in prayer. Finally, he mentions God's Spirit, or implies God's Spirit working. The Father is in heaven, will give good things to those who ask we pray with confidence that God sees our need more than we do. God sees our need more than we do. He knows before we ask. He's known before we existed what we would need at this point in time. He, he, that's incredible to think about, isn't it? That nothing takes God by surprise. God doesn't get up in the morning and say, Whoa, didn't see that coming. 
or whoops, how did that happen? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. Boy, you sure did fool me today. Or, you know, wow, you're up already asking for things? I mean, man, God knows, he knows everything as if it's present tense always. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for all the saints in accordance with God's will. If you found yourself in one of those positions where you know you need to pray, you want to pray, but you don't know what to pray. I mean, the situation is so challenging or difficult or confusing that you don't even know where to begin to pray. I don't know what to ask God for. I don't know what I need in this situation. You've been there? Mm-hmm. I mean, those things usually happen when something devastating hits us. You know, you, you lose somebody unexpectedly, something happens, and, and we feel at a total loss, and we don't even know where to begin to pray. Well, this is encouraging. This is confidence that even, even when we do know what to pray, when we think we know what to pray, as we're praying, the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf. Scripture tells us that Jesus lives to intercede for us always, right? Where's that? Hebrews 7.25? Is that right? Somebody look that up. Hebrews 7.25. That, that Christ sits at the, on the throne and He is interceding for us. The Spirit is interceding for us. So we want to cooperate and be in this praying with them that even if my praying is off kilter and out of whack, if I'm coming to God with a desire, desire for God to do something in my life that I need, I know that Christ is praying, that the Holy Spirit is praying, and they're praying perfectly for me. And I can always default to that. Lord, Tell me what I need to pray. I'll pray with you. But man, I'm grateful to know that you're praying perfectly for me right now. I can rest in that. Somebody got it? Therefore, he therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hey. Got it. I didn't have it memorized, but I got it right. Huh? <laughs> Ask. It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's a pretty heady promise, I think. And one that we don't live in and take advantage of enough. Would you agree? You have questions? Comments? Take issue with anything? Yes, sir. Just a comment. One of the things that impacted me a little bit God listens to believers' prayers and how important it is to seek those prayers and tell believers. Yeah. And the power of prayer through, Absolutely. through the church and through the body of the church. One of the dangers that we have, and, I, and I'm guilty of this, I'm, I am a staunch believer. If you don't know this already, I'm a staunch believer in the absolute and complete sovereignty of a holy God. That means that there is nothing that happens that God has not ordained, planned, 
and executes. The danger we have is defaulting to that and saying whatever will be, will be, you know, becoming fatalistic in our approach to God, and that's wrong. Scripture clearly encourages us that while God is absolutely sovereign, there is a necessity for our prayers, that God is moved by our prayers. I don't understand the mystery of this. It is def definitely a mystery how God can be sovereign, and yet my prayers can move God, except that God already knows from eternity past this moment and has planned for it accordingly right there's no way that i'm playing god in this and telling him or instructing him to do something that he hasn't already had the foresight and plan to do and wants to be done but how all that works out we don't know but what we do know is that it clearly teaches he's absolutely sovereign and at the same time he tells us invites us encourages us to pray to ask and he's going to be responsive. Maybe not exactly in the way that we think we need him to be responsive, but in a way that's in keeping with his perfect plan and will and one that will bless and delight us. Right? So exactly right. Therefore, what we do at the beginning when we gather and we talk about praying for these people, if we're not careful, we turn it into just a little ritual and we say, oh yeah, we'll give lip service to it. But we need to change that, don't we? And realize that our praying factors in somehow. God has said it does. He's made that allowance in his divine, perfect will for our prayers. And there's no way I can get my little skinny little mind around how that works other than take him at his word. It almost seems like it's in competition to one another, that it can't be both, but it is. Another one of the fascinating mysteries of God. But one that ought to give us a lot of encouragement. As you just said, praying for one another and praying and asking God for things in our own lives. I mean, I mean, just going back and studying this this week, it, it, has, it has challenged me in my own prayer life. You know, it's just something we don't focus on. I'm saying, God wants me to ask Him for things. To be audacious enough to ask Him to do something great. Something, something that is big that I can't do for myself. That sounds wrong. Something big enough that, that only God can do. But, but for anything and everything. But, but to ask. You know, that, that He's ready and He's inviting me to do that. Ask me. Please ask me. What do you think you need? What do you think you want? Ask me. I delight to answer their prayers. Revolutionize and change our prayer life, right? So, Jerry, yes, sir. In, 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 I want your opinion on something. 